Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK World Radio Japan, France 24, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. The Japanese government has formalized plans for a stimulus package to shore up the economy and counter inflation. The arguments between the prefecture of Okinawa and the central government over the relocation of a U.S. military base in Okinawa have been presented in court. China and the U.S. will hold talks next week on nuclear arms control and nonproliferation. There was a summit in Malta to find a plan to end the Russian invasion of Ukraine. As of Thursday morning, at least 10,000 people have died in the war between Israel and Palestine, with Israel bombing cities and refugee camps. There were protests in Tokyo at the Israeli embassy demanding an immediate ceasefire. NHK Japan We start here in Japan, where the government has formalized a stimulus package worth over 17 trillion yen, about $112 billion, to shore up the economy. My top priority is to pull the country out of deflation and put the economy on a growth path. Growth in the economy will lead to an increase in tax revenues, and fiscal health. The new package is based on five pillars, including tackling rising inflation and ensuring sustained pay hikes. I want to make sure to create a situation where growth in national income exceeds inflation. It should be achieved by next summer by combining wage increases and income tax cuts. As a means to help counter rising prices, income and resident taxes will be cut by about $260 per taxpayer and dependent. Low-income households that are exempt from resident taxes will receive about $460. The ongoing subsidies for oil wholesalers and utility bill relief measures will be extended through April next year. Toward the goal of ensuring sustained pay raises and bolstering the country's growth capabilities, the government will assist capital investment by small and mid-sized companies to boost productivity. It also plans to increase funding for the construction of semiconductor production hubs within Japan. A supplementary budget will finance the stimulus package. The government aims to submit it at the current diet session later this month. Japan's central government and the leaders of Okinawa Prefecture have staked out their arguments in court over the relocation of a U.S. military base. The Okinawa governor made the prefecture's case himself. 
The central government wants to move the U.S. Marine Corps Fdenma Air Station from densely populated Ginoan City to an offshore location at Hinoko in Nago City. The project has had problems as the seabed at the site has been found to be too soft. The prefecture has not approved the revised reclamation plan. The central government filed suit in response. It now wants the court to allow it to execute the plan by proxy without local approval. In the court hearing on Monday, the government said execution by proxy is the only way. That's because Okinawa continues to resist the project using administrative procedures the top court has ruled illegal. It argued the prefecture is preventing Japan from ensuring its security and undermining the public interest. In response, Governor Tamaki Deni argued the prefecture made many sacrifices to defend the country in World War II. He said residents have suffered hardships from the presence of U.S. military facilities. He added the government's claim the relocation will help remove danger and reduce Okinawa's burden is unconvincing. He asked the court to show the best ways to find a solution through dialogue. The court case has now ended. The court says it'll soon announce when it'll make its ruling. China and the United States will hold talks next week on nuclear arms control and non-proliferation. The Wall Street Journal says the meeting will be the first of its kind since the Obama administration. The Chinese foreign ministry said the talks will be held in Washington and a senior official of its arms control department will attend. Last month, a report from the U.S. Department of Defense estimated China had more than 500 operational nuclear warheads. It expressed concern China was boosting its nuclear forces more quickly than expected. The Chinese government said the American report ignored the facts and was just spreading rhetoric about a so-called China threat. The Wall Street Journal says the talks next week will be a chance for American officials to try to learn more about Chinese nuclear doctrine. Two days of discussions on the plan to end Russia's invasion were held in Malta. Senior officials from more than 60 nations and international organizations, including Western countries, Japan and emerging nations, took part. This also say representatives from India and Turkey blamed Western countries for supporting Israel's actions in Gaza, saying it constituted a double standard when blaming Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. India and Turkey insisted that international law should also be observed in Gaza. The diplomatic sources say that as those differences surfaced, participants decided not to issue a joint statement and Ukraine and Malta issued a co-chair statement instead. We start with the Middle East, where the conflict between Israeli forces and Hamas has now left over 10,000 people dead. The Israeli military has continued to attack Gaza's largest refugee camp. Nearly 120,000 registered refugees are living in the camp. It was another airstrike on the refugee camp. Explosions were heard while people were praying at the mosque. This is a massacre. Health authorities in Gaza say nearly 8,800 people have died since the conflict began. At least 1,400 people were killed on the Israeli side. Meanwhile, other forces in the Middle East are throwing their support behind Hamas. The Houthi rebel group in Yemen fired ballistic missiles towards Israel Tuesday. 
Now, here in Tokyo, protesters have gathered near the Israeli embassy, demanding an end to the attacks on Gaza. The participants held signs and chanted slogans, calling for a halt to the bombing and an immediate ceasefire. They also staged a sit-in. The organizers said about 300 people took part. There should be an immediate ceasefire. I hope the conflict ends as soon as possible. I joined because it would be impossible to stop this attack unless we raise our voices from Japan to appeal to international public opinion. A civic group organized the demonstration. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. On shortwave, they are heard at 10 p.m. at 13.710 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. NHK Japan may also be found at most podcast sites, as is the shortwave report. Next, France 24. First, a press review focusing on the Israeli bombing of a refugee camp in Palestine. Then an interview from France 24 show called Perspective. Sari Bashi, program director at Human Rights Watch, discusses the most urgent needs in Gaza, fuel, water, and electricity. She says that Israel has demanded that Gazans move while there is no safe place to move to or method to get there, and that it is a war crime to not protect civilians, something Israel and Hamas are both guilty of. Sari also says that Israel's use of explosive weapons in densely populated areas continues to kill civilians, including nearly 4,000 children, and they must stop these actions. France 24. Press review now, and on the uh, Israel-Hamas war, papers today focusing on the Israeli bombing of that refugee camp in Gaza. Erin has been uh, having a look for us. Erin, what are they saying? Well, The Guardian headlines on what it describes as a graveyard for children this morning on its front page um, following those Israeli airstrikes on Jabalia refugee camp, which is also the largest in the Gaza Strip. Now, the strikes left dozens of people dead. Some sources actually say hundreds. Uh, That number obviously has not uh, been independently confirmed yet. But either way, the Israeli military has said that it did. It carried out those strikes in order to target a key Hamas commander, Ibrahim Biari. They, of course, accuse Hamas also of sheltering its soldiers under civilian infrastructure, including uh, this refugee camp. Now, Qatari paper Al Arabi Jadid uh, on its headline says that Gazans have uh, two choices. That's what's up top on there, either forced uh, departure or extermination. The Pan-Arab paper says that nighttime for Palestinians is no longer for rest. Uh, Gazans fearing now that Israeli bombs will kill them in their beds uh, while they're sleeping. And then finally, in an editorial on its front page, the Lebanese paper, Lorient Le Jour, there to the left, compares Pablo Picasso's Guernica to the situation in Gaza. The editorialist says that the comparison uh, may be unlikely, if not anachronistic, but he points out that Guernica was, during the Second World War, one of the first campaigns to target an innocent uh, civilian population. Gaza is similar, he argues, no more than art. Barbarism has no homeland. And he says that if he were still in this world, Pablo Picasso would surely have found in the terrible surrealism of uh, the Gaza war, ample material uh, for pictorial revolt, I quote.
It's time now for Perspective. And for our segment today, we're going to stay on the growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza. And for that, Sari Bashi joins us on the program from the West Bank. She's program director at Human Rights Watch and co-founder and former director of the Israeli human rights organization, Gisha, as well. One of the most urgent needs is for the Israeli government to stop banning fuel from entering Gaza. Under the current circumstances, fuel is life-saving aid. Hospitals are running out of fuel to power generators in order to uh, pump ventilators, uh, power um, incubators in neonatal intensive care units, run operations and maintain basic sanitation, uh, water uh, systems, sewage pumping, aid delivery, ambulances all rely on fuel. Since October 7th, the Israeli military has not allowed any fuel into Gaza whatsoever, even though a trickle of aid is coming in via Rafah crossing. In addition, the Israeli government needs to immediately restore uh, electricity and water fully to Gaza, which it cut on October 7th in an act of collective punishment against Gaza's civilians, and also open its own crossings into Gaza for truckloads of humanitarian aid, as it has done in previous hostilities. Is anywhere safe? Uh, you know, Palestinians were, were told to, to go to other parts in the south, but bombing is also continuing there. So what are people supposed to do? The Israeli military is weaponizing humanitarian provisions of the laws of war to protect civilians, misrepresenting them and weaponizing them to harm civilians. Several weeks ago, the Israeli military warned uh, more than a million people in northern Gaza to evacuate to the south. Under ordinary circumstances, the laws of war encourage parties to warn civilians of impending attack, where such warnings allow them to uh, keep themselves safe. But the Israeli military issued a warning to people where there was no safe place to go and no safe way to get there. Under those circumstances, the warning is not effective. And under all circumstances, civilians who stay behind, either because they cannot or will not leave evacuation zones, these are families facing impossible choices. Some people have been killed trying to use the, desig the designated evacuation routes that the Israeli military told them to use. Others have been killed while in southern Gaza. People who remain behind retain their civilian protections. They have to be protected. Instead, the Israeli government has warned civilians in northern Gaza that they risk being considered complicit in terrorism. It has completely blocked aid to the North and even admonished and criticized humanitarian organizations for providing aid to civilians in Gaza's North. There is no safe place in Gaza right now. All civilians must be protected, in particular people in Shifa Hospital, which is the main hospital in the North. These are ICU patients. These are doctors who cannot evacuate and they need to be protected. What does international law have to say about accepting clearly such high numbers of collateral damage in order to, to, to apparently uh, reach military targets? International law requires warring parties to protect civilians full stop, and those obligations are non-reciprocal. They don't depend on whether the other side is, is keeping them. So Hamas and Islamic Jihad committed war crimes against Israeli civilians on October 7th by massacring and uh, taking them hostage. And those are war crimes that have no justification. War crimes by Palestinian armed groups do not justify war crimes by the Israeli military against Palestinian civilians. In the past, Human Rights Watch has documented Palestinian armed groups failing to take adequate precautions to protect civilians by locating military personnel, weapons in civilian areas, though that is unlawful. 
if and if that is happening right now, that does not excuse the Israeli military from its obligations to protect civilians. This is another misrepresentation of international law that we're hearing from the Israeli military. Even if the other side is endangering civilians by operating from populated areas, you still have to protect civilians. We're very concerned about the way the Israeli military is interpreting proportionality. We've seen massive attacks on targets that have killed many, many civilians, scores of civilians, justified by saying there was a military target. I can't say more than that because we haven't yet been able to do those investigations. What I can say is that the Israeli military's use of explosive weapons in densely populated areas significantly raises the risks of unlawfully indiscriminate attacks. There's a widely accepted norm that 83 countries have signed up for, including the U.S., including Palestine, saying armies should not drop missiles in densely packed city blocks because if you do that, you are predicted to kill children. And since this began, the Israeli military has killed nearly 4,000 children in Gaza in less than a month. The Israeli military should stop dropping explosive weapons in densely populated areas that have wide area effects, because regardless of what you are targeting, you will kill large numbers of civilians. Israeli military has those obligations regardless of what Hamas and Islamic Jihad is doing. And Hamas and Islamic Jihad have obligations to stop firing rockets indiscriminately at Israeli communities, regardless of what the Israeli military is doing. The ICC's prosecutor's office has been uh, investigating alleged crimes committed in Palestine since 2021. Why haven't these investigations moved forward in general? And why do you think we're seeing so little reactions from the international community with respect to what's happening today? So why the ICC investigation has yet to produce visible results is an excellent question. And I hope you'll ask the ICC prosecutor that question. I am encouraged that recently the ICC prosecutor went to Rafah crossing um, on the Egypt-Gaza crossing and called for parties to obey the laws of war. Um, that's a preventive statement that can be very important in these conflicts. We also hope and expect for arrest warrants to be issued not just because of the current escalation, but because of the crimes against humanity and war crimes that have been committed for the past many years, both by Israel as well as by Palestinian armed groups. I'm very concerned about the role of the United States and other Western backers of the Israeli government who are not requiring the Israeli military to obey the laws of war. They need to insist that the crossings be open for the full panoply of humanitarian aid and that the Israeli military cease dropping explosive weapons in densely packed city blocks. Sorry, Bashi, Human Rights Watch program director. That press review and report were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. They are also available at most podcast sites. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or would like to support this listener-funded program, contact information is available at outfarpress.com or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Your support helps the weekly production of this show, which is distributed without cost to more than 100 radio stations across the globe. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. U.S.-based Jewish Voices for Peace blame the United States for supplying 80% of the bombs used on Gaza and called for an immediate ceasefire. 
Anti-war protesters with hands painted red interrupted a U.S. congressional hearing that was giving billions more taxpayer dollars in aid to Israel and Ukraine. Anti-war protests were held at the Canadian Parliament and more than a dozen cities across that country, calling the siege in Gaza genocide. Bolivia cut off official ties with Israel, with the governments of Colombia, Chile, Mexico, and Brazil all condemning the bombing in Gaza. For the 31st time, the resolution calling for an end to the U.S. blockade against Cuba passed by an almost unanimous vote in the U.N. General Assembly. Radio Havana, Cuba. A U.S.-based Jewish peace group has called for an end to the ongoing Israeli genocide in Gaza, joining the global demand for an immediate ceasefire in the enclave which has been under relentless bombardment for three weeks. In several postings on Saturday on X, formerly Twitter, the Jewish Voice for Peace also blamed the U.S. for the horror in Gaza. Quote, We demand a ceasefire now to save lives, to stop genocide. The Israeli military has already erased 47 Palestinian families from Gaza's population registry. All members of the family from all generations are dead. This is loss beyond measure. The U.S. is also responsible for a horror in Gaza. 80% of the bombs that the Israeli military drops on Gaza that are used to kill children are American-made. We are called on to do everything we can to stop the genocide. Anti-war protesters with their hands covered in red paint symbolizing blood have interrupted a congressional hearing demanding Washington stop funding Israel's killing of Palestinians under siege in Gaza. Protesters repeatedly called for a ceasefire now as U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin were appealing to the Senate Appropriations Committee on Tuesday for billions of dollars more of U.S. taxpayers' money for funding the military forces of Israel, Ukraine, and other Washington allies. They denounced Washington for funding the Israeli regime's forces committing genocide against millions of Palestinians in the occupied lands. Blinken and Austin were repeatedly interrupted by dozens of protesters in the room who called for Israel to end its bombardment of the Gaza Strip, and the hearing had to be suspended as police cleared the room. The protesters who had their hands covered in red paint to show the U.S. government had blood on its hands due to the Gaza genocide stood in the crowd and called for ceasefire now and protect the children of Gaza. The anti-war protesters stood up one by one as Blinken wanted to begin his speech before shouting him again. The police quickly escorted the protesters out, saying that at least 12 people had been arrested. Crowds of protesters on Monday led several sittings at the offices of Parliament members in Montreal and across at least a dozen other Canadian cities demanding an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. One organiser, Maya Meneses, told reporters, quote, We are joined by over 20 office occupations across the country from coast to coast of individuals not affiliated with any one organisation, individuals that represent the majority of Canadians who want to see our government taking action on a genocide that is being streamed live. We want an end to the siege in Gaza, and we want to see our federal members of Parliament acting on it as decisively as their constituencies clearly are demanding that they do. Meanwhile, in Toronto, over 100 workers rallied outside the manufacturing plant and global headquarters of INKAS that produces arms for export to Israel. Protesters are demanding Canada end its weapons trade with Israel, 
that they say are being used for ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. Bolivia has cut official ties with Israel over the war in Gaza, as two other Latin American countries recalled their ambassadors in Tel Aviv for consultations. Deputy Foreign Minister Freddy Mamani said at a press conference on Tuesday night, Bolivia has decided to break diplomatic relations with the Israeli state in repudiation and condemnation of the aggressive and disproportionate Israeli military offensive taking place in the Gaza Strip. Minister of the Presidency Maria Nela Prada also confirmed that the country would send humanitarian aid to Gaza. Quote, we demand an end to the attacks that have so far caused thousands of civilian deaths and the forced displacement of Palestinians. Neighbours Colombia and Chile have also recalled their ambassadors for consultations condemning the deaths of civilians in Gaza and calling for a ceasefire. Writing on social media site X, Chilean President Gabriel Boris accused Israel of, quote, unacceptable violations of international humanitarian law and following a policy of collective punishment of the people of Gaza. As he announced the recall of Ambassador Jorge Carvajal, Chile has the largest and one of the oldest Palestinian communities outside of the Arab world. Also writing on ex-Colombian President Gustavo Petro called the attacks a massacre of the Palestinian people. Other Latin American countries, including Mexico and Brazil, have also called for a ceasefire. For the 31st time, Cuba has been forced to present to the United Nations General Assembly an initiative to reject the American blockade, a genocidal policy that has caused great material deprivation. Since 1992, Cuba has been submitting proposals for resolutions on the need to put an end to the siege of the Northern Power since the economic damages in more than six decades amount to more than $159 billion. The 30 pronouncements of the UN General Assembly in favor of the proposals presented by Havana have not been important to the United States administrations such as the current Democratic administration and the previous one of Donald Trump, which tightened the blockade. The banking and financial system of Cuba is being pursued by Washington's instruments for that purpose. Cuba cannot access credits as other countries do, and its financial and banking operations are frustrated or suffer delays due to the fear of the counterparts of being subject to U.S. sanctions. All of this has worsened since Trump's reincorporation of the Caribbean nation to the list of countries that, according to the United States, sponsor terrorism when there is no evidence to that effect. Because of the blockade, Cubans have also seen their access to medicines limited, as the highly professional biopharmaceutical sector has not been able to develop according to their plans. These are just a few examples, among others, as evidence to support Cuba's presentation at the United Nations of initiatives for the international community to demand the United States to end its siege. The government of that country cannot ignore, for an indefinite period of time, almost unanimous decisions adopted in the General Assembly. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radio8c.cu. There's no podcast, however. 
On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140 and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, radiohc.cu, you could stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Daylight Saving Time. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, find information for online support. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 26 years, this shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I am recuperating from spinal surgery, I am staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.